Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, the King of Cube, Mr. Ethan Sachs. How's it going? It's it's going great. Wow, the King of Cube, huh? Cube spelled K-E-W-B, so that we we still keep the alliteration, you know? Nice. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> that's really, that's classy. That's classy. I'm very excited for the return of the Cube, and I also have to say... I wish that you, I could have convinced you. I didn't really try very hard. I wish I could have convinced you to try the um, premiere draft, the chaos draft. No, because so just just to sell you on it, it's different than normal chaos because you're not opening up. It's sort of like a, a chaos cube because it's not like you open up an Aquaria pack like they mix up all of the cards from the sets in, so you have a you know the, a rare from one set, uncommons from another. So it it's a little less. I don't know. You just like well, I'm taking this good card and I'm not going to get anything else. You can kind of cobble together some fun synergies. You're not selling me. I'm sorry. I, just don't, I, don't, I, I don't. I don't get the hate. I hear it's incredible. I, I think chaos draft has been so miserable. The times that I've done it. Here's what happened. Here's the truth. I had always heard about chaos draft, and I was like. That sounds awesome. Like, I was <laughs> really looking forward to Chaos Drafts. And then I did my first one, and I was like, okay. And then I did my second one, and I was like, oh, this kind of is awful. And then I did maybe like eight to ten more, and it was just off it for the rest of my life. Like, wow. I was so hyped for it, and it was so underwhelming that even if the cards are mixed up here or whatever, and I'm sure I am wrong because, like, lots of people seem to be enjoying it. I just really like Lord of the Rings, and it's like a safe, consistent ice cream flavor that I just want to eat over and over and over again. <laughs> there, that's the the Ben Warney vanilla life over there. It really yeah. is. You know, you gotta you gotta have consistency, and you gotta know what you're getting. We're talking about ice cream. I will not be yucking your yum. I'm glad you're enjoying Lord of the Rings, but I know we're both gonna be enjoying the upcoming two things. We've got Throne of Eldraine coming back for a week. And then we've got the Arena Cube back. That's what we're going to be talking about today, mostly to get folks prepared to win that 2K on Sunday of day two of the Arena Open. Are you jazzed? I am super psyched for Arena Cube. I was very hyped for this last time and a little bummed that I scrubbed out in the first draft. So I'm, I'm glad to get a second chance. And I yeah. playing Cube for stakes is just a different ball game. And mm -hmm. I, I'm curious to chat with you about this. I don't know if we want to do it now or later in the episode, but... One of the things I felt last time about the Arena Cube is kind of what I feel like looking at the pros when we review the pro draft logs. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times they're probably rightfully so a little conservative in like how willing they are to pivot or, you know, branch out into other colors because it's such a high stakes draft for them, right? Like they really mm -hmm. wanted to one. Like I felt that last time in the Arena Cube of like normally when I cube, I don't care if I owe three, like I'm just trying right. to like do whatever I'm in the mood to do. And the fact that it was competitive cube, like really changed my mindset. And I don't know if that's for the better or for the worse, but I was I was definitely more conservative when I drafted it. I think that's totally reasonable because one of the things I always say about cube is that it's one of like the only sort of purely fun ways to play magic, right? Because we don't often have these things. It's never like a way to qualify for something. It's never seen at the like GP or whatever or PT level. Um, but it does teach you a lot, right? It, it teaches you a lot about how to play limited, how to draft, how to build, you know, decks, not cards, etc. And I think there is a shift, much like we sort of had for, okay, what are we going to do? What would we have done if we were going to the Pro Tour for Lord of the Rings, much like that episode? I certainly will have a plan 
based on whatever the four or five days of drafting I get to have prior to it. And I assume it will be the same conclusion, which is that I'm going to be forcing black sacrifice decks. And that's what I did last time, too. Yes, to great success. But the other thing I remember Mm. vaguely was that like the scuttle was that red was awesome, right? That like red was far and away the best card in the cube. Or maybe I'm misremembering that. But that was definitely the impression I had. And also my gut feeling as well, just from having played cube a bunch, was that the red, heavy red decks that were, you know, like threats, removal, glory bringer, like uh-huh. just killed you in a hurry. But there's also it's also best of three. So I, I don't know. I'm I am very excited, I think, to answer your question in a less <laughs> meandering route. No, no, no. I'm very excited to explore the arena cube with a competitive focus for five yeah. days as much as I yeah, can. Yeah, because because the idea is you want to, I think, set yourself up for figuring out what do I think the best thing to do in the cube is and how much does that overlap with what I can get consistently, right? Because it's the same, I think, the same issue of Black and Lord of the Rings, right? That's the best thing to do, but can I get it consistently? And I think our, our conclusion and, and a lot of folks' conclusions was perhaps no, or maybe it was yes, you know, uh, watching Kai Buddha chat with Andrew Cuneo reviewing his draft on his YouTube channel was really interesting because he was just like, yeah, I could have taken Frodo Baggins third, right? But I don't really know that deck. And here I have a, a really good common in a color that I know is awesome. I'm just going to fight for that, you know? Right. Yeah. So we're going to be chatting about that. We'll chat a little bit about uh, Throne of Eldraine coming back in a couple days, and then we'll dive into the Arena Cube. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. The show will always be free, but we got some sweet perks over at the Patreon page. The base level, everybody who gives back via the Patreon gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is the place to be. I mean, I have to say, probably the next month or three weeks, four weeks of the Discord is going to be excellent with, hey, flashback draft for a week. Hey, Arena Cube coming back and prepping people for the Arena Open to win 2K. And then new set dropping with Wilds of Eldraine at the beginning of September. It's a really great time to be in on that community. Get some other stuff as you move up the reward tier rankings, access to the show notes, access to the episode a day early, ad free, and all the way up the reward tier rankings, access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, head on over to the Patreon page. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week, we're shouting out Avid, Gavin, David, Kishon, Tal, Uch, Stephen, Wesley, and Michael. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. If you are watching the YouTube, you probably saw a grin on my face. And this is not, this is not directed at you. I was thinking about during your Discord ad read, our poor Cube channels are always relegated to the bottom of the Discord. For anybody that's not mm. in there, our Discord is fairly expansive <laughs> as far as the number of channels. And there has to be an order. And I think Cube tends to get pushed towards mm-hmm. the bottom of that order. So this week for the Arena Cube, that's going to be, boom, bumped up top, front and center. Cube's going to get uh, its time in the spotlight for sure. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc. CoolStuffInc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock and we've got a checkout code for you lol all caps to get five percent off anything you want to order from coolstuffinc.com last week we shouted out some board games those are obviously evergreen gonna be there all the time right now commander masters booster boxes are the booster boxes of choice to store in that closet if you're of the commander (laughs) draft persuasion but i do want to continue to shout out lord of the rings as a brilliant set and a great set to store a box of in your closet so if you're doing any purchasing over at coolstuffinc.com which we highly encourage you to do 
please use checkout code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off your order. I wonder if we could get, maybe, you know, we're still early days with cool stuff, but maybe eventually we could get a, like, Ben Warney branded duster, like a feather duster, for when <laughs> for when you retrieve the booster box out of the closet. You want to, you know, get it nice and cleaned up for your friends. I love it. I'm here for it. Okay, so real quick, let's chat about one of the goaded sets. Throne of Eldraine. Coming up this week in Premier Draft, maybe folks are making their push from Diamond into Mythic. Maybe they're trying to get to that top Mythic spot and camp. Who knows? Whatever you want to do with your rank, it's up to you. Maybe you want to tank it down to 92%. (laughs) We'll have to see what happens for me. But I bet there are some people who maybe played it, maybe have not. If you haven't played it at all, we'll direct you to episode 130. That's our 50 Eldraine Takes in 50 Minutes episode. That'll give you a little bit of a refresher. We can do sort of a, a fast and loose, maybe... Five quick and dirty points about the set. How are you feeling currently about Throne of Eldraine in your uh, ultimate set power rankings, Ben? I feel good about it. I don't think I feel as strongly as you about it. It's certainly top 10, maybe top five. Oh my God. It's, 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 it's of course top five for you. Get out of here. I, you can't I, name five better sets than this. Not off the top of my head with you no. aggressively putting me on the spot, but I, I really truly don't think it's in my top five, but I do love it. And I think... Every time I come back to it, I appreciate it more than I remember in my head for the build arounds. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing for me of Throne of Eldraine more than like the 15 viable decks, like drafting the hard way. Like it's just awesome to build around Fires of Invention. Like mm-hmm. that's how I feel about I was thinking about this while I was falling asleep last night. I don't know why, but probably because I was thinking about I had just done the cube and read the cube list. Like, do you remember how passionate I was about Fires of Invention? Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about the Bath Song, except it's at Uncommon. So I could uh-huh. do it a lot more. But I loved Fires of Invention, like yes. just building a deck around that card. You were champion of that. So for folks who don't know, I mean, this was a it's banned, right? It was banned in, was it banned in Standard? Who knows? It's, it, it was banned in some formats that aren't limited. This is a three and a red enchantment. It says you uh, can only cast up to two spells a turn. You can only cast spells on your turn, but... You can cast those spells for free if their mana value is less than or equal to the number of lands you control, which is huge. And Ben was, I mean, this is obviously great in cube. We'll be chatting about this a little bit later in the arena cube section of the episode, but you were a champion of this card. I think even from the crash course, you had your eyes on it. You played with it during early access. I got to watch you do it and you went off with it. And I was like, all right, I'm a believer. (laughs) And you really just sort of saw like the forest for the trees or whatever of, okay, well, what you need is you need card draw and you need mana sinks. And if you have both of those things, you can really pop off with that card. Yeah. Love that format for those reasons. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, you've already sort of mentioned a few of these, like if someone only has like a minute to hear, like what are the like things I need to know about the rules of engagement for Throne of Eldraine? I think it's truly 15 viable decks in the format, all 10 color pairs and five monocolor decks. It's the original Hashtag delay the decision set, I believe, with the like colorless cards, you know, golden egg. This is the set with the golden egg. You want to know the history of the golden egg award? That's right. Here it is. (laughs) Um, I'm not even sure based on current rules that the golden egg would be viable for the golden egg award. According to our Eldraine 50 takes episode, we have it as like the number five best common overall or something. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, there's lots of colorless cards. It's because artifacts and enchantments is one of the themes of the set. Um, So there's a lot of colorless cards that can allow you to delay the decision. And part of the reason for that is the viable decks of it all that you really want to find that open color pair, open color, um, because you can really get rewarded because they're all largely created equal. Yeah, and tons of 
build around rares. Also, one of the best mechanics of all time in adventures. Mm-hmm. It will really show you about like not running out of things to do as long as they're in the right deck. I mean, don't put your combat trick adventure creatures in your control decks and, you know, vice versa, your, your discard two and your aggro decks, whatever. And the last thing is the set's going to teach you a ton about mana bases. You have to be thinking about your mana very early on in the draft. Something like an 11-7, 11-6 split of your lands was pretty common due to Adamant being a mechanic in the set where you wanted to have uh, three sources of mana pumped into casting a spell. And even something like 14 plus of one source was common in these mono or near mono colored decks. So just really have mana bases in mind when you're drafting. You can really get yourself into trouble of like, oh, I've got this three drop adamant spell in black and then this four drop adamant spell in blue. Ugh, that's going to be pretty dicey, I would say. Yes. So really looking forward to Throne of Eldraine coming back. All right, let's 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 shift on over to the cube. The last time we did a cube episode was... Alchemied Arena Cube update episode 247, which was over a year and a half ago. That's a long time. Long time. And the last time this cube specifically was back, the Arena Cube, we've had a, a couple of cubes since then, but the Arena Cube was only here for the last Arena Cube open, which was, you know, December into January 1st or 2nd, I believe. So a long time ago, that means we've got three sets plus whatever alchemy nonsense has been added to Arena (laughs) for them to be able to shake things up. So we're currently going to be working off of that list. I know it's a little bit, it was a little out of whack, right? So this cube is coming back August 21st to September 5th. The Arena Cube Open is the last weekend of August, the 26th and the 27th. And we won't get that new cube until the Monday prior. So with our podcast release schedule, we won't actually be able to provide you any information on the podcast about (laughs) the current cube list and what shifts have happened. Like prior to the arena open, which is when it matters. Prior to the arena open, yes. But we will... We will have an update on our YouTube channel, whatever, that Thursday or Friday. We'll get something up there to let you know what we think the shakeups are. If any of like, here are the cards that came in that matter. Here are the archetypes that got a significant boost or uh, went down significantly in our rankings. But one of the nice things about this cube in particular is it's sort of Arena's version of Vintage Cube, right? It's not trinkety or chromatic-y. It's much more just here are the best cards available to you on Arena. And even though cards come in and out, archetypes largely stay the same. Now, where where those archetypes end up in terms of power rankings will change, but, you know, the archetypes themselves will largely stay the same. Also, other news about this specific Arena Open, we've got draft on both days, which is excellent. And it also, unless these are just like gotcha misprints on their website or whatever yeah (laughs) Yeah. it also says that draft is going to be both days of wilds of eldraine on the next upcoming arena open after this cube one right so does that mean goodbye to sealed day one sign me up that would be have to pay respects to sealed yeah very happy to be saying goodbye to sealed on day one so hopefully that'll be the case uh moving forward that definitely was the case for the last cube open as well. It was draft on day one. Um, So looking forward to that again for this one. So we'll take a quick ad break and then we'll be back with the arena cube. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and your favorite streaming services. Inflation is everywhere. That's why I've got to win that 2k in the arena open. I can't afford a new phone plan otherwise. (laughs) 
Well, Ethan, you're in luck because there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile? Is that like a new vehicle from Wilds of Eldraine? No, it's... Or one of those fancy colors for card sleeves like Bordeaux or Petrol. No, it's the first company to sell premium wireless service online only. Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. Whoa! By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com LOL. That's mintmobile.com LOL. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com LOL. All right, Ben, where, where do we want to start? Like cards, archetypes, what's, what's the best way to, to start here? I want to start with the cards, I think, because there are some absolutely busted cards in the Arena Cube. And you know, I love a good list. I know you love a good list, but these aren't ranked because I, I put them together. I'm not uh, <laughs> all cards created equal in my beautiful snowflake um, lists of cards. But I think, you know, for us, the Arena Cube is largely about identifying what are the just absolute best raw power cards, right? The cards that are just going to be good no matter what, or no matter what, if you end up in the right archetype for them or the right, you know, flavor of that color for them. You know, obviously you don't want sweepers in your white aggro deck, etc. But based on that, what the raw power cards are. And then beyond that, the the build arounds, like I wouldn't call Fires of Invention a raw power card, but it's certainly like on my radar as, ooh, can I get that early and I can make maximize it. And then beyond that, what are the cheap, flexible glue cards, right? The strong one mana, two mana, sometimes three mana plays that are really going to give me the most paths throughout the draft. Yeah, and I think maybe even before we get into these cards, you're just talking about that clicked for me. I think cube's intimidating for a lot of people. Sure. And if you have been on the fence about trying cube, like would encourage you, I think every time we do a cube episode, just encourage you to dive in. And you've got an arena open, which is largely going to be a fun place to do some competition for the cube, but would highly encourage you to cube if you've not. It teaches you so much about the game of magic and there's a high barrier to entry. But knowing like these best cards or what Ethan was talking about, you know, what the cheap cards are that matter. It's just a different puzzle to identify and it's a much more powerful puzzle and things that we always say, like, you know, you've got to have a good curve, like you have to have a good curve in cube and you can't miss land drops because the spells are so powerful that if you don't cast spells and your mana base matters a lot more in cube again, because the spells are so much more powerful that if you miss a turn casting a spell, the negative impact it has on you is even greater than just a normal draft form. It's like the reverse snowball effect of that or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and I also think part of it being intimidating is, well, maybe I didn't play with some of the cards or I don't remember them or, or whatever. You know, the card pool is smaller than you think when you hear like, oh, it's 550 cards or whatever. It doesn't take more than a few drafts. Like, and by few, I really mean like two, three with the draft themselves and then the decks you play against, you're going to see like 80% of the cards. By that time, you really will have seen what the cube has to offer. And if you really have the time and the homework to do it, they post the full list on the mothership. So you can just read through that as we read through this old list in preparation for this episode. That mothership being wizards.com slash magic or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that might not be apparent to a listener that's not familiar with cube. Oh, come on now. The mothership. They know. They know. All right. Let's <laughs> chat about whites, 
best sort of raw power cards. And I think top of the heap, I put farewell and then parentheses many other sweepers, right? So farewell is the one from uh, Neon Dynasty. That's the six mana. Like you choose one or more of, uh, you know, exile artifacts, enchantments, creatures, and graveyards. I just think that white as a control, white plays both roles pretty well, but white as a control color in this cube is excellent. Top of the heap, you say? That sounds like a ranking order to me, maybe, you know? Like that not the, all the cards he- created equal. The heap can, it's not like a peak, it's a heap, you know? There's there are many things can exist at the top. <laughs> Past farewell, again, no particular order here. Second on our list of cards. It's mostly alphabetical. <laughs> Is the Wandering Emperor? That's at the end of the alphabet. Yeah, exactly. I was I scrolled down through white pretty far, and I, but I and I thought this was the six mana one. It's not, though. I anticipate that will be coming in uh, from Phyrexia. All will be one, but this is the the Flash four mana Planeswalker. Yes, that can destroy what a tapped creature. Yeah, put out some soldiers and do something else. Uh, put a plus plus one counter on something, and it gets first strike until end of turn. Yeah, cards excellent really excellent and and plays really nicely in sort of both spaces right good in an aggressive deck to push damage and also good in a control deck as well um if you're like you know blue white and you're passing with counter spells etc next card on the list luminarch aspirant that goes in an aggro deck baby yeah one white for a one one and at the beginning of combat on your turn you get to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature that can snowball in a hurry in an aggro deck. Now, it's tough because the list that we're going off of doesn't really account for the alchemy versions of some of these cards. I believe Aspirant is alchemied in the cube. It doesn't put a counter on something until the end step. Um, you know, We'll talk about a Seekus Chariot in green. I think that being alchemied, maybe uh, it broke Ben's heart a little bit with the, it doesn't make two, two, two cats. It only makes the one, but now it's crew cost is only two, not four, et cetera, um, but still powerful. So we'll, we'll, I'm going to be going off the fact that Aspirant is alchemied, still busted in this cube. I don't think so. If it's alchemy, I think it's significantly less good. It's still good. It's still good, but it's not one of the best cards in the cube if it's alchemy. Okay. Well, who that put would, it on that this would be list? My take. Who put it on this list? Me or you? Probably you. me. I think I did. You definitely did. <laughs> uh, other good aggro cards for white, venerated Loxodon. That's the convoke uh, five mana four four, uh, and it puts a plus minus one counter on each creature that convokes it. Wedding announcement uh, that, you know, ticks up to counters before it flips to an anthem and you can either draw a card if you attack with two creatures or make a one one and welcoming vampire it's a three mana two three flyer uh first creature that enters the battlefield under your control each turn with power two or less lets you draw a card that's pretty sick a lot of good aggro cards for white speaking of good aggro cards for white we've got another one here in adeline resplendent cathar one white white for a star four with vigilance and its power is equal to the number of creatures you control and whenever you attack you make a one one human creature token that's tapped and attacking the player that you attacked. Yeah. Which in this case is your opponent. This is, that's multiplayer commander yeah, text. Yeah. <laughs> nonsense. Yeah. So uh, white really does, I think, like I said, play in both spaces really, really well. It's got the control pieces with the sweepers. It's got the finishers. We'll chat a little bit at the end of the episode about maybe some predictions of what cards we expect from uh, one mom and Lord of the Rings to make their way into the cube. 
and I think White's got some some good stuff to slot into both of those spaces as well. Yeah, one more recent addition of the cube also that I really remember standing out is Sanctuary Warden. That's mm-hmm. the angel from Streets of New Cabena, four white, white for a five, five flyer. ETBs with two shield counters, and whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you can remove a counter from a creature or planeswalker you control. If you do, draw a card and make a one, one green and white citizen creature token. I, I remember thinking, oh, that card's kind of clunky, probably doesn't matter that much. And then the first time I played against it, I was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> this is a gigantic problem. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to blue, which I think I think might be the best color in the cube. I don't know. Do you have a sense I, of this? I remember for the arena open, the scuttle being that blue was the worst color. Wow. That's what I rem- that's what I remember. And again, my memory could be wrong, but I remember everybody being hot on like when it's competitive, the proactive cards are king and blue is so reactive that it wasn't that good. Yeah, maybe that's true. I mean, but blues, the, the list is, is shorter than whites, but it's got some some heavy heavy hitters here. Um, the first one I've got on the list is Scholar of the Lost Trove. This is a seven mana five, five flyer, uh, five blue, blue to cast. And when it enters the battlefield, uh, you can pick an instant sorcery or artifact from your graveyard and cast it for free. This is incredible with clones. I mean, it's just incredible in general, but with clones like Phyrexian Metamorph. So then you can Scholar, get Metamorph back, Metamorph copy Scholar. You get to do it again. Mythos of Aluna is a spell that does that, lets you copy uh, a creature. So you get to Scholar, play Mythos, copy your Scholar, get another spell. Uh, really powerful. Next on the top of the heap, we've got Shark Typhoon, five and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you can make an XX blue shark creature token with flying, where X is that spell's converted mana cost. And it's also got cycling for one blue and an X. Whenever you cycle it, you create an XX blue shark creature token with flying. And there's two just disgusting six mana spells here. I had, I had missed one of them because it's an alchemy card. The first one is, I think, my least favorite card in the entire cube. I think the most egregious spell to be included because you have to watch your opponent click five things and you know it's happening yeah so it's sublime epiphany four blue blue for an instant choose one or more counter target spell counter target activated or triggered ability return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand create a token that's a copy of target creature you control another card that plays well with the, the scholar and then target player draws a card that's the last mode there and so yeah what you have to wait is you know you cast something you're like you read your opponent for sublime epiphany they've got six mana up you're like what am i supposed to do i have to play my spell you gotta have it and then you're not shown immediately right what happens is there's a lot of mousing, a lot of things. The stack is highlighted. Another thing is highlighted. Mm, undo, undo, re-highlight. Just like, just end it. Just put me out of my misery. Other banger six mana spell is Discover the Formula. This is four blue blue for an instant. And you seek three non-land cards, Oof. which is r- at random from your deck. And then non-land cards in your hand perpetually gain. The spell costs one last to cast, which sounds like kind of clunky, but it's absurdly broken. Yeah, really, really powerful. There's only one, I believe, uh, time walk in the cube, and that's Alrin's Epiphany. And I assume this is the Alchemied version of Alrin's Epiphany, which is a seven mana sorcery. Take an extra turn after this one. If this spell was foretold, create two one one blue bird creature tokens with flying exile Alrin's Epiphany. The foretell cost is also five blue blue. So significantly worse than Epiphany non-Alchemied, obviously. Still very strong, and I think it being the only time walk in the cube also makes it pretty powerful in that like spells the blue red spells copy you know double spells kind of deck yeah love that archetype pet archetype of mine and then the, the last thing to just note for blue is just oops all counter spells there's a ton at least in the, this current list that we had uh, last december a ton of counter spells that really 
tie the room together in terms of blue's um, role as a control color in the format. I would say this is kind of my my memory of blue being the worst again, though. Largely, these cards are reactive, right? And for yes. the same reason that control decks kind of struggle in modern magic, if your deck is full of reactive cards and one thing slips through the cracks in cube, the cards are so powerful that you can be in trouble. You really need to draw your answers and your counter spells in the right order against a wide variety of decks in mm-hmm. the cube. Yeah, I agree. That takes us on to Black, a favorite of mine at the top of the heap here. This is Gonti, a Lord of Luxury. Two black black for a 2-3 with Death Touch. When ETBs, your opponent reveals the top four cards of their library, and you choose one of them. And you put that card in exile, and you can play it with mana as though it were mana of any color spent to cast it. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if Gonti dies, right? You still get to play that card. Next up, we've got, I think, just one of the most raw, powerful Planeswalkers in the cube currently. This is Lolth Spider Queen. Three black black for a four loyalty walker. It's passive is whenever a creature you control dies, you put a loyalty counter on Lolth. It's zero, you draw a card and you lose a life. Minus three, you make two, two one black spider creature tokens with menace and reach. And minus eight, you'll never get to, but you get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more creatures you control. If that player lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference. Yeah, that card is absurdly good. And speaking of absurdly good, this might be my least favorite magic card of all time. I don't think that's true. I think this is my second least favorite magic card of all time. Is your first also one we're going to talk about on this list? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. So this is the Hourglass Coven. Four black black for a 3-3. And whenever it enters the battlefield, draft a card from the Hourglass Coven spellbook twice, then put those cards onto the battlefield. Other warlocks you control get plus one, plus one. So you get three three threes, two of which have excellent abilities, and then you can also reanimate this for more value if your opponent manages to kill it. Card is dumb. Yeah. Next up, we've got Noxious Gear Hulk, four black black for a five four with menace. And when it enters the battlefield, you can destroy another target creature. If a creature is destroyed this way, you gain life equal to its toughness. Just rock solid. And and you'll notice, like, I, I think one of the things I want to just jump in and say here is that you could take away from the cards we're highlighting, like, oh, all the like five and six mana spells <laughs> cards are, good. are excellent. Yes, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> that's actually not the point of this discussion. The point of this discussion is that we are highlighting the ones that we think are a cut above the rest because what's so easy to happen if you're not familiar with cubing is you open the pack and you go oh my god this is all the greatest hits of past limited sets what do i take and it's so easy to be like this five drop and this six drop and this five drop and this four drop and by the end your curve is terrible and your deck doesn't function but it is important to know which of the cards in the cube are the ones that deserve that six mana or that five mana spot in your deck. And theoretically, these should be going pretty highly also, like similar to the power in Vintage Cube or something like Oko in Vintage Cube. Like, yeah. These are the cards that are on that tier of like the 10th through 30th best cards in the cube, you know? Mm-hmm. We are not going to talk about my least favorite magic card of all time. It Which is? is? Lizel Yankee oh, Warrior, the yeah, stupid yeah, cheater white yeah. rare. Do you know do you know how much I loathe that card? How much? I have been enjoying watching some Baldur's Gate 3 streams because the game seems interesting. So I've like watched Voxy play some. And Lizel is in that game because it's in that setting. And my blood pressure went up 
so much that when I saw the character, like I had to stop watching. I couldn't do it. Wow. I hate that card so much. It runs deep. What about this next one? How do you feel about Shoulder of the Apocalypse? Ooh, love this card. Shield of the Apocalypse, two black black for a four or five death touch. Whenever you draw a card, gain two life. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. Yeah, and you'll notice that seven mana Shouldered, not on our list. Uh, the last card we want to talk about here is Yogmoth Thran Physician, two black black for a two four as protection from humans. You can pay a life, sack another creature to put a minus one minus one counter on up to one target creature and draw a card you can also pay black black discard a card to proliferate what's great about yogmoth is that it is probably the best ish sacrifice outlet and we'll talk about the redundancy of these effects but yogmoth i think is here as just like sacrifice outlets are great and this is perhaps the best one yeah moving on to red which gets a bunch of absurd cards. First mm-hmm. is Bone Crusher Giant. It's two in a red for the 4-3, and it's got an adventure for one in a red where you can deal two damage to any target at instant speed. Yeah. I mean, just like rock solid. And one of the things was about looking through red for sure, and, and black a little less so, was there weren't a ton of cards that were jumping out to me like in white or blue or greens list of like, man, what a banger of a card. But there's just so much redundancy on this list, right? Of like here's great burn spells. Here's really strong one drops. Here's really strong two drops for black. It's like, here's really good sack outlets, sack fodder, things that care about stuff being sacrificed, but none of those individually jumped out to me. Right. But their strength comes from the collective of knowing you're going to get a very functional deck from drafting those colors. But not to cut red short, it does have a handful of bangers. Next up is Chandra, Torch of Defiance. Another card that plays both spaces well, honestly, probably plays in more controlling versions better than aggressive decks. This is two red red for a four loyalty walker, has two plus ones. One adds red red to your mana pool. The other one exiles the top card of your library. You may cast that card. If you don't, Chandra deals two damage to each opponent. Minus three to deal four damage to target creature. And minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a spell, this emblem deals five damage to target creature or player. Yeah, that card's excellent, as is this next one. (laughs) Believe in the cleave, baby. Speaking of Eldraine coming back, this is Ember Cleave, four red red, legendary equipment with flash, costs one less to cast for each attacking creature you control. When ETBs attach it to target creature you control, equip creature gets plus one, plus one, and has double strike and trample. And it also has an equip cost of three if your first casting of it for some reason didn't kill your opponent dead. In the initial iteration of the Arena Cube, Sublime Epiphany, Ember Cleave, and there will be a card we talk about when we get to green, were the three cards where I was like, these are egregious includes because they're just like so much better than the rest. I don't think Ember Cleave is quite there, but it's still still very powerful and, and belongs on this list. Next up is Glorybringer, uh, one of the, the best hasty dragons ever. This is three red red for a 4-4 four, four with flying and haste. Uh, when it attacks, you can exert it, and if you do, it deals four damage to target non-dragon creature you're opponent controls and lastly this card is everywhere fable of the mirror breaker two in a red enchantment saga chapter one you make a two two that when it attacks you get a treasure chapter two you can discard up to two cards if you do draw that many cards then chapter three this flips into reflection of kikijiki it's a two two creature and it has one tap make a token of a non-legendary creature except it has haste and you sacrifice that at the beginning of the next end step card is broken in half that's 
probably the best red card in the cube, right? I think so. That's probably the, the best card. It might just be the, the best cube. card in the cube. Yeah, I think that that's would be fair. my guess. Like that or Shielded the Apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I'm curious to hear when we get to what might they add, if anything, will will unseat. Probably not. Probably not, as uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker is busted. Looking at green, where, where are you at on, on green in this cube? Like, does it do anything for you other than the multicolor ramp stuff? Like, do you buy into any of the, I don't know, green-white counters of it all or anything like that? Oh, God, no. (laughs) Green is like mana ramp into large, powerful effects. Yeah, that's exactly what it does. And and one of the things that you can do along the curve is Yugen defends the temple. Not quite good as Kiki Saga, but still quite good. Two and a green for uh, Saga. First chapter, you make a 1-1 green human monk that's a mana dork. Chapter two, put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. And then it flips into Remnant of the Rising Star, which is a 2-2 flyer. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you can pay X. When you do, you put X plus one plus one counters on that creature. And as long as you control five or more modified creatures, Remnant gets plus five plus five and has Trample. Yeah, that card's illegal. (laughs) This is a classic from the Vintage Cube. Next up, we've got Oracle of Moldiah, three and a green for a two-two. You can play with the top card of your library revealed, and you can put lands into play from the top of your library, and you can play an additional land each turn. Yeah. And so here is the uh, Triumvirate of my list of illegal cards in the arena cube first time it came around and that's the great henge seven green green for a legendary artifact costs x less to cast where x is the greatest power among creatures you control tap to add gg you gain two life and whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control put a plus plus one counter on it and draw a card this has fallen off significantly since then though right this is not anything super special for me i don't think i think right so it's not like an auto include it's not a jump ship for but it is a card that like when i see this i'm like okay let me get i want to get love struck beast so i can do like what i want to do is be able to go have my deck be geared towards how fast can i get this out right can i do love struck beast on three great henge on four type of stuff right next up we've got another classic thrag tusk four and a green for a five three when etbs you gain five life and whenever it leaves the battlefield you make a three three beast token just a great card if aggro's going around a lot in the arena open, which I imagine it will be. Like just super good at stabilizing you. Also insanely overpowered if you blink it even once. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timeless Witness, 2GG for a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, return target card from your graveyard to your hand, and it has Eternalize for 5GG, which means you get to exile it from your graveyard, and it comes into play as a 4-4 black zombie token with no mana cost. That is just such a good intersection of so many things that green can do right it's like good for etb it's good for getting your value spells back it just like mm, does it all it really does it all this next one randomly hoses some decks this is <laughs> vorinclex monstrous raider 4gg for a 6-6 with trample and haste if you put one or more counters on a permanent player you get double and if an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent player they get half I mean, how many sagas and planeswalkers have we shouted out on this list so far? <laughs> yeah, Vorinclex is a house. Yeah, it just gets shut down. And then shout out to Elvish Mystic as a representative of there's not that many, like, unlike Vintage Cube, where I don't know, what are there, like 10 one mana mana dorks? There's not that many on Arena. There's like Elvish Mystic, Gilded Goose, I think Llanowar Elves, and, and that's about it. The, the one mana rampers for green decks are premium, premium pickups. Right. So if you're seeing like a pick seven Elvish Mystic in pack one, like that kind of a thing is a signal that green is 
probably open if people know what they're doing who are drafting the cube, which I imagine people will if you're doing the arena open. And and similarly, when we get to colorless, I wanted to shout out the two mana rocks, which again, I believe there's only four as of the last iteration of this cube. So something like Mindstone, two mana for an artifact, taps for colorless mana, and then you can also pay one tap sacrifice it to draw a card. But the two mana mana rocks are premium for non-aggressive decks because they let you, like the stuff that matters, right? Think of all the cards that we've shouted out on this list. The most powerful things to do start at four mana generally. And so when you get to those a turn sooner, you really can't underrate it. And it's, it is, there is a significant difference between the two mana rocks and the three mana rocks. Yes, huge difference. Next up, we've got the boat, Sky Sovereign Council Flagship. This is five mana for a 6-5 vehicle with flying. It's got a crew cost of three. When it ETBs, you deal three damage to a creature or a planeswalker. And whenever it attacks, you get that same trigger. Shout out to the year of our Lord 2012. Worm coil engines on this list. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I'm just uh, just making fun of Ben a little. Six mana for a 6-6 six, six with lifelink and death touch. And when it dies, you make two, three, three worm tokens, one with lifelink and one with death touch. Card is still a house, I think. Right. And so, for example, in Vintage Cube, Worm Coil Engine is irrelevant, right? But there's a lot more powerful archetypes and decks going on in the Vintage Cube. My memory of the Arena Cube is that largely you're just playing super high powered games of magic. Mm -hmm. And there's not as clean of answers to Worm Coil Engine in the arena cube generally as there are in vintage cube i agree lastly on this list we've got the biggest baddest colorless eldrazi in the cube and probably not a high pick but i think just worth being aware of this as the greatest monster of them all ulamog the ceaseless hunger 10 mana for a 10 10 eldrazi whenever you cast it you exile two target permanents it's got indestructible and whenever it attacks defending player exiles the top 20 cards of his or her library yeah pretty busted handful of cards here to chat about in multicolor first up is coma Cosmos Serpent. This is three GG blue blue for six six. Can't be countered. At the beginning of each upkeep, each upkeep, that's right, create a three three blue serpent creature token named Coma's Coil. Sack another serpent, choose one, tap target permanent. Its activated abilities can't be activated this turn, or Coma gains indestructible until end of turn. Next up, we've got the Scarab God, three blue black for a five five. At the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses X life and you scry X, where X is the number of zombies you control. You can pay two blue black to exile target creature from a graveyard. You make a token that's a copy of it, except it's a four four black zombie. And whenever the Scarab God dies, you return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. And I was nervous that this card wasn't in the cube because it didn't show up in colorless. It was in multicolor. This is Golos Tireless Pilgrim. It's five mana for a three five. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a land card. Put that card onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. And you can pay two Wooberg to exile the top three cards of your library. You can play them this turn without paying their mana cost. Yeah, card's a huge reason to play the five color deck and probably the best and one of the only reasons, I think, to play the five color deck. Yes. If we're thinking about it competitively. Mm -hmm. Next, we've got Ral Storm Conduit. This is probably, for my money, the best reason to do blue-red spells. This is two blue-red for four loyalty Planeswalker. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, this deals a damage to target opponent or Planeswalker. You can plus two to scry one. Its loyalty just ticks up insanely fast if you've yeah. never played with or against this card. And then minus two when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell, you copy that spell, you can choose new targets for the copy. So being able to copy all the busted instants and sorceries we've named for no additional mana is just borderline illegal. Yep. 
And then last on this list is Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, one of the best control finishers you can ask for. Three white blue for a four loyalty walker, plus one draw card at the beginning of the next end step, untap up to two lands. Minus three, put target non-land permanent into its owner's library, third from the top. And minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls. And then just a few cards that didn't quite like in my head makes sense on this previous list, but that I did want to shout out as like, these are reasons to do archetypes. And you could argue that stuff like maybe the Great Henge fits on this list we're about to talk about rather than, you know, in raw power. But largely, I think these cards ask something of you, but that thing is worth doing. First up, I won't, I've talked enough about these. Ben's just like rolling his eyes at this point. There are companions in this game. There's, <laughs> there's, there's five of them. I, I've chatted about companions at length and limited before on the show on our YouTube channel. I realistically think if you are trying to win, which is what we are trying to get people to do, if you're trying to make the 2K, I think Yorian is probably the only one that's actively good to do and reliable enough. And the key with Yorian is you just, you have to see it early because to get to 32 or 33 playables, you got to see it early and you really can't draft lands very highly. Um, I think Luris got way worse when they took away the blue-white Auras deck. And I think you leave too much on the table if you're trying to do Obash, Gigantha, or Karuga. Is that how's that for a, a responsible way to advise people about companions? I love it. I kind of want to push back against Luris, but I, I want to explore Luris like in whatever this iteration yeah. of the Arena Keep is, right? Because Luris is, I think, largely the most powerful of mm-hmm. all of the companions. So if it's viable to make a Luris deck, I do want to sign up to try to companion Luris. Well, and I think, you know, Luris. You can, I think, make it work if if you're doing like white aggro, white red aggro, whatever, black white, black red, if they're flavors of that. Luris is great in an aggro deck when you just have this sort of, you know, glut of one and two mana threats. If there's anything more than that, like like what was cool about the blue white auras deck was it was a sort of play on that. And I've definitely seen, you know, that you can do like blue black with powerful spells right because Luris you, it just has to be permanence you can play sublime epiphany in a Luris deck you know it's just about what you're giving up on so yeah definitely want to explore what Luris has to offer um i think the other three will largely be fun but not competitive and the next one of these cards is a classic build around for cube and an insanely good finisher for control this is approach of the second sun Six and a white for a sorcery, and if it was cast from your hand, and you've cast another spell named Approach of the Second Sun this game, you win the game. Otherwise, put Approach of the Second Sun into its owner's library seven from the top, and you gain seven life. So basically, what you're trying to do is find Approach of the Second Sun and cast it twice as quickly as possible while not dying. And one of the reasons this is powerful is you're just playing a completely different game of magic than your opponent, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, largely when you find this card, you're just like on all draw spells, right? Because your whole game plan is just find this card as quickly as possible and then find it again once you tuck it seven deep as quickly as possible. Yeah. We talked about Fires of Invention being great. We talked about Golos, which is on this list as well. The other card I wanted to shout out that's currently on the cube list, right? Like we don't know what they might shake up, not even from what's in the three sets this year, but they've like, you know, taken some out, brought stuff back. Like I was, I was so excited to talk about Wilderness Reclamation, which is one of our favorites and just certainly one of your favorite pet cards. It's not on the list currently, but they they might bring it back. You know, they've they've rotated things like that in and out. One of the the cards that is currently or was uh, in the iteration last time is Mizix's Mastery. It's three in a red for a sorcery. You exile target card that's an instant or sorcery from your graveyard. For each card exiled this way, you copy it, and you can cast the copy without paying its mana cost, and then exile Mizix's Mastery. But it also has 
overload for five and triple red, which means you can, uh, the overload changes uh, target in the, the line of text to all. So it lets you cast all of your instant and sorcery spells from your graveyard for free. Um, and you can do just pretty cool two card combos with this of like, you know, cycle magma opus on two in your blue red deck to get a treasure. And then Mizzix's mastery pulls it out on three. And that's really powerful. But like, those are things that the blue red deck, the blue red spells deck can, can do super well. All right, so now that you've got an idea of the best cards, and I realize that was a lot of us reading text of cards. Ethan is very against reading card text, and I am very pro reading card text. And even for me, that was a lot of reading card text. But I think you have to have a baseline for what the most powerful cards are before you can put all of the other cards in context. And basically, like if you're trying to categorize the cube cards in your head, it's, I think, probably largely that list for us. I'm sure other people are going to have opinions about what the best cards in the cube are as well. And very difficult to actually nail down what's quote unquote correct or right in cube. Mm -hmm. But past that set of cards, and even sometimes over that set of cards, depending on where your curve is at, it's just like one and two drops are just insanely premium in the cube. And there weren't a lot of one and two mana cards on that list because it's hard for your one and two mana cards to win you the game the way some of those cards are. Like those are the best finishers in the cube or the best cards in their mana slot in the cube. But the one and two mana cards and just getting on board is so, so, so important. Whether you're aggro or control or mid-range or whatever, you have to spend your mana every turn in cube because the mana does so many powerful things. Yeah, totally agree. So let's chat about the the top archetypes or just the archetypes we're going to be on the lookout for, the archetypes we expect to be supported. I've alluded to this. I anticipate that this deck will still be highly supported in the cube and highly underrated among drafters, and that's the black-based sacrifice decks just looking through this old list there's so much redundancy for this deck there's so many sack outlets sacrifice fodder and when i say fodder that's you know things that replace themselves or things that recur from the graveyard like those little the skeletons that you can get back etc and the things that care about stuff dying like blood artists or um sanguine brushstroke that makes a blood artist or bastion of remembrance right there's just so many of these effects and it works as a red black deck it works as a black white deck you can even get some goodies from green as well um this deck i think is it's like it's maybe not tier one but it's tier 1.5 and the reliability of the deck in draft and in gameplay is so high that it almost pushes it to, to tier one for me well and part of the reason it's so good is every card in the deck is so cheap. Like you're not yes. playing a ton of four or five, six mana spells. You're playing a billion, one, two, three mana spells that combine to make this very powerful engine. Correct. Next up is blue, white control. This is a classic cube archetype and I think present in the arena cube as well. In the vintage cube, affectionately known as blue, white Chions per, per Paul Chion and LSV. But this is just sweepers from white, counter magic from blue, and then whatever finishers you happen to pick up. This is also by far the best home for approach to the second sun. For sure. Next, we have Bant Blink. So a different flavor of blue, white, and often incorporating green because green has so many strong end of the battlefield effects. Um, currently, the only Blink engine in, in this version of the cube is Teleportation Circle. That's three and a white for an enchantment. Beginning of your end step, you can exile a creature artifact you control, and then it comes back into play. And then you just want all the end of the battlefield effects you can get your hands on. And then there's tons of one-off ways to blink things like Ephemerate, Yorian, Restoration Angel. Um, but just, you know, we talked about Thrag Tusk. Like, how incredible is it to Ephemerate Thrag Tusk? Then you're gaining five life again. You're getting a 3-3. God forbid you get to do it again. Ephemerate still, you know, comes back from rebound, etc. 
the, the deck is powerful. Well, and one other thing, like if you're thinking archetypes for the arena cube, you know, there've been a lot of iterations of cubes on arena. There's been chromatic cube, there's been tinkerer's cube. And I feel like those other cubes have archetypes like this much more obviously seated into them than the arena mm-hmm. cube does. The arena cube is, is much more classic in the sense that it's like mono red, mono white, green, red, yeah. blue, white control. Like it's more like more reasonably powered versions of the vintage cube archetypes, I think, than it is like you're trying to go ham on green, white, plus one, plus one counters or something, at least in the past. Yeah, that's what I think. And I think we can sort of get get mixed up a little bit when we think about, well, that was like a really strong thing in, I mean, green, white counters has never been a strong thing. It's so fussy, <laughs> right? But like... If you could think like, oh yeah, that was a thing in the last version of the cube, but it's like if that was a thing in the last version of a different cube, and certainly there are some things that might make you think the plus and plus one counters exist in this cube, but that's not really like going that hard. There are a few archetypes like blue red spells, black sacrifice, where it's sort of like that column A, column B, you know, payoffs enablers, but but not really for most decks, I would say. And we've talked about this next archetype a bit already as well, but green X splashing lands, right? So you're trying to get Golos and Field of the Dead. Those two are the yeah. core cards for this archetype. And then you're basically playing a, a five colored cube deck of fixing. You pick the lands highly and you're just playing the best cards at rate in their mana slots. Talked about blue red spells as well with Ralstorm Conduit being probably best of the bunch in terms of, and, and again, currently on this list, the only way to double spells in the list, there's no double vision or anything like that. You can also trigger Smoldering Egg, right? The, the 04 that flips into the 4 4 Dragon. You can also get aggressive versions of the stack or tempo versions of the stack with cards like Young Pyromancer and Sprite Dragon. And, and as powerful, you know, we'll chat about this a little bit of like, what do we think might come in? You know, Blue Red Spells has had some successful archetypes in the limited sets this year. So maybe we'll see that archetype get a bump as well from those sets. One of the other things, though, to be careful about drafting these linear archetypes like Blue Red Spells or Black Sacrifice, sometimes, you know, you play your Sprite Dragon or you play your Young Pyromancer and then your opponent plays a removal spell. And then all of a sudden, like, you're not really doing anything and you've got these synergy cards and your opponent is just playing rawly powerful cards, like cards that are excellent on rate and you're way far behind. So you... you do really want to make sure that you have a theme probably and synergy probably, but also just excellent Magic the Gathering cards in your deck. I agree. Next up, we've got two classics, white aggro and red aggro. And I would say these are excellent archetypes in the cube. I think per arena cube, like maybe a little risky to draft. Like it's hard to really get cut out of things in cube, Mm -hmm. but these super linear archetypes that really need a critical mass of one and two drops that are already probably going to be contested by other people just drafting normal versions of those color decks. Like you can end up not getting there, but if you do get there, these are probably top tier archetypes. Last on this list. Okay. It's not a top archetype, but (laughs) not even close. Ben called me the king of cube. I had to come. I had to come with some hotness here. This is like Jeskai slash Boros reanimator. It's sweet if the key cards are still in. So the key cards being the reanimate spells of invoke justice and repair and recharge. So these are heavy white invoke, right? The, the quad white invoke gets a permanent back from your graveyard and then put a uh, Distribute four plus plus one counters among creatures you control. And then repair and recharge, which can only get back an artifact, an enchantment, or a planeswalker, and then you get a, a power stone. The cards you're trying to cheat in are not actually creatures. <laughs> you're trying to cheat in 
one of these two very expensive permanents, which is either Portal to Phyrexia or one with the multiverse. So Portal is the thing where your opponent sacks three creatures and then every upkeep you get to get a creature from a graveyard into play under control for free. And then one with the multiverse lets you like look at the top card of your library. You can play lands and cast spells. And the first spell that you cast each turn, you cast for free. So both of these cards really powerful. And there's tons of ways in red and some in white to rummage or loot. So the idea is you churn, churn through your deck, you know, get one of these pieces into your graveyard, find your reanimate spell profit. Again, this is not a top archetype, but it's one of the things that like, I think you want to be on the lookout for in terms of it is actually powerful. The cards will be underrated, but this is one of the things where it's like, do we even know that any or all of these cards will be in the cube list? We actually don't. They could they could rotate out. Well, and and are you bold enough to do this? <laughs> I am. <laughs> on your day one draft of the Arena Open day two, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, the first draft of day two, I don't know. Maybe not. Well, that brings me to the last segment here. I mean, we're, we're sort of at time, but I, I thought it might be fun to just chat about, okay, we've got... Cards from Phyrexia All Be One, Marks of the Machines, and, and Lord of the Rings. Any what predictions of cards that might shake things up from this year that'll enter the arena cube? Anything that's that's sort of tickling our fancy that might also tickle the the cube designer's fancy? I mean Orcish Bowmasters just kind of has to be in there, right? But it's so For broken. Sure. That will be maybe overtake Fable as the best card in the cube. It'll be well, one of the best a, cards in the cube, right? It will definitely be one of the best cards in the cube. And it, and it's, it's got to be a lock to be included, right? I would think so. It's interesting because like, so we, we can jump ahead to, we can work backwards. I sort of worked chronologically from this year, but we can work backwards from from Lord of the Rings back that Orgish Bowmasters, I think, is a lock. I think the One Ring, do you think the One Ring is a lock? I don't know if it's a lock, but it'll be a great build around. And then the other cards I, I sort of thought about was maybe Doors of Durin will be in there. It's a, it'd be really good for like red green or base green. What are you shaking your head at me for? You don't think Doors of Durin is good? I mean, not in Arena Cube. That will be terrible. Okay, how about Horn of Gondor? You think Horn of Gondor will be in? I think that's a lock. Could be in, but again, I don't think it's going to be good. Really? You don't think it's... So, because it's not good in aggro, right? It's just not good enough. It's so slow, and it's so disruptible. It's like, okay. it takes like six turns to get going. There are wraths. No way. Do we think Gandalf Sanction and other blue-red buddies might come in to boost blue-red spells? I mean, sign me up. I'm, I'm in for a Gandalf Sanction. The other card that's really going to boost blue-red spells is Chrome Host Seed Shark. That almost certainly is going to end up in the cube, right? That's a lock, right? So that's from, from March of the Machine. That's the two in a blue, two, four flyer. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. That card, yeah, that card I think is going to be super powerful. I mean, just like looking at March of the Machine, I was like, oh man, this was just like bombs. <laughs> the bombs. There are so com. many bombs, bombs.com, that are going to be great in the arena cube, right? Breach the multiverse. Holy cow, what a finisher for black that's going to be. Yeah, and Atali Primal Conqueror will hit even more goodies. Sunfall is going to be another great sweeper for white, right? The one that leads behind an incubate token where, where the power and toughness for that incubate token is equal to the number of creatures that die. And then Boonbringer Valkyrie as like the whatever, Baneslayer Angel Plus with backup. But then backup does, there is this like green-white counters that might get a big boost, right? With backup. <laughs> well, hold on. Ozolith comes in. Whenever, if like one or more plus and plus one counters we put on one or an artifact or creature you control, you get an additional one. And then also you get Arwen Mortal Queen from LTR. This coming right? to you from the man that said green-white counters has never been good. 
this is this is like the whatever what we what did we say about um mordor trebuchet just like just push that voice down i'm just like well but what if but maybe maybe if they added all these cards yeah it's also a little trinkety but it does get a boost i mean the the praetors from march of the machine those will be excellent and also another wrath that could come in is white sun's twilight as well from Phyrexia Obi-Wan. That could be another one with a long list of wraths. There, there was a point where blue-white in the arena cube was, I think, too good. There were too many sweepers, and they they paired it back nicely. And I'm nervous thinking about White Sun's Twilight and Sunfall and, and other cards that like it might uh it might be too good. I'm curious. I'm sure we will see a non-zero amount of battles. I'm curious Oof. what you think no? I don't know. They might put some of the rares and mythics in. I don't think they'll be that good. Wow. Battle's not good. What about other like trinkety one stuff? I I didn't have a lot of cards from one. I think it'll be interesting to see. I bet Atraxa makes its way in. I would bet money on that. That's uh, the three green, white, blue, black, seven, seven, flying vigilance, death, touch, lifelink, and then whatever <laughs> card types. Like, I can't read this whole card. I'm sick of reading cards this episode. Everyone knows what attracts it does, I assume. But the awkward thing is, is that they're like, other than that weird Boros reanimator deck I shouted <laughs> Not out. a lot of good reanimate spells, yeah. So, so that sort of makes me wonder, like, will they try? Like, will they try and make reanimator a thing? Could just be a payoff for the green five color deck. Yeah, maybe that's it. There's also going to be a Lesh Norn Mother of Machines, potentially, yeah. the, the five mana one that doubles like Panharmonicon effect. I bet that comes in because that's just such a great addition to the the ETB Blink deck. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of goodies for sure. There's a lot of goodies for sure. And, and I don't know, like we said, we, this is, we're all just guessing here about like what's a lock, what's going to come in. It, it, what's, what's even more interesting and what's harder to even speculate on about like the powerful cards but what are the sort of the glue cards the one mana cards the two mana cards the non-rares are there going to be any commons that find their way in you know that that might be really good role players in multiple archetypes that'll be interesting to see as well yeah excited to check it all out for sure what uh do you have any kind of like like it sounds like blue red is your jam a little bit do you feel like nah no i do love a good blue red deck the thing i struggle with in cube is just figuring out what I'm doing. Like I've I've hit a point in cube where I'm not quite as passionate about cube as you are. I love love mm-hmm. cube. But I don't I, it's hard for me to like make a decision and be like, ah, I'm really feeling like white red reanimator today. And <laughs> just drafting that or whatever, you know? Like what's so funny about white red reanimator, <laughs> Ben? T- tickles me that, that <laughs> is an archetype that you like. Unbelievable. So I I really need cards to push me in a direction. And I even kind of run into this in vintage cube sometimes where I'm like, okay, like I've done all of this before, like the newness of sets and the puzzle is what I really enjoy. So I struggle sometimes to pick a direction in cube. And I'm assuming I will run into that in the arena cube as well, which is why for me, it's really helpful to have those lists of what are the best cards. So I can say, okay, I've got a premium card. I'm going to draft around this or go down this window. But I don't know that I have a pet deck it was it was wilderness reclamation for sure yeah and then they took that away from me (laughs) 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 i was when ryan spain was on lr though and was talking about like hit me up i want greater gargadon back in the vintage cube that nothing would make me happier than greater gargadon they separated greater gargadon and balance just is it's egregious it's a crime yeah for sure 
Okay, so I think that's that's where we'll we'll leave things for the Arena Cube speculations for this open. And like I said, just because of our release schedule and, and when the Arena Cube drops on Monday before the open, we won't have anything on the podcast. You know, I'm sure we'll chat about our our weekend run when we record that weekend, um, but we won't have anything in terms of prepping you all. But we will have something on our YouTube channel, a little update of like, hey, we've been playing for a few days. Here's what we think is good. Here's any adjustments to what we chatted about on the show. Yeah. And I think if you're not a comfortable cuber, my advice would be try to learn how to draft two or three decks really well during the week, like whatever three you pick and maybe ideally, hopefully ones that overlap a little bit so you can pivot in and out of them and maybe learn how to pivot in and out of them. And that's probably enough to make a good run at the arena cube. Like you don't need to be able to draft 20 different cube decks well to do a good job in the arena open. You probably need to know what they are so you know how to play against them. Mm-hmm. But like as far as you, if if it's overwhelming for you, like learn how to draft mono white, mono red and Boros or learn how to draft mono red, red black sacrifice and some black base deck, you know, like just kind of limit yourself. And I do think there's still room to have tons of success that way right like for example you've probably drafted whatever 50 different cube archetypes like you've drafted the main 20 plus all these random other ones and you went in saying i'm gonna draft black right and did very well you cashed like 500 bucks the first one right and Mm -hmm. you limited yourself to i'm doing black sacrifice because like it has been under drafted every time the arena cube has been out i expect that will be the same this time around so highly recommend if you like those mid-rangey sacrificey triggery filled decks Hop on board, but don't be in my pod on day two, please. <laughs> All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, please use code LOL, all caps, when you check out to let them know we sent you there. And more importantly, to get 5% off anything you order, you can find all of our content on our website. That's lordsoflimited.com. That's where our tier list is. That's where our merch is. That's where access to all of our other content is, like our YouTube. We're putting out the episode on YouTube, baby, uh, plus additional videos over there. Um, we've got our Twitch stream links as well. All of that over at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.